Welcome to the very first episode of the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act and operate. And I'm absolutely delighted this morning to be joined by a very, very special guest indeed. Guatam, it's lovely to see you. Nice, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the first ever one. I feel honoured. I was going to say, you for now, your lifelong biggest <laughs> accolade is the fact that you're the first ever guest. So I really appreciate you coming nice. down. Thanks for having me. Just for the guests, it would be great if in two minutes or less, you can just tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and maybe some of your career highlights. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. So Gotham Vichy, currently co-founder, CEO, OneShot. So we've been going like a year, year and a half. We're an AI solution focused on messaging and personalization for salespeople. So it's like my background prior to like starting this was 16 years in B2B enterprise sales. So that's building, scaling sales teams. So for the last 10 years, I've probably managed over two, 300 salespeople from SDRs to enterprise AEs to first line managers. So companies like CloudBees where I ran Europe, Akamai where I ran the UK enterprise team. And, you know, selling's evolved. And the biggest challenge was, you know, everyone's prospecting. Everyone's trying to get hold of the same people. How can you make a difference? So really one shot is focused on how do you focus on personalization at scale? So we're a year and a half old. We're revenue generating and we're currently going for our, like next round of funding, which will be closed in the next few weeks. Um, so super excited um, and love to talk, talk more about that today. That's awesome. Sounds like really, really exciting times. Yeah. And I just want to almost peel back the layers of some of that, yeah. um, Gwatan, because you, you mentioned almost going from being one, a high performer as an individual contributor, transitioning to a leader and now running your own business. So it'd be good to just understand a little bit about when you started your career, was that kind of entrepreneurialism something that was there kind of from the very get go? Is that something that you knew you wanted to embark on down the line? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a strange one, right? I think anyone who gets into sales, mm. it's not necessarily like something you, you're, you've been thinking of since you were like 10 years old. Yeah. I want to go into an IT sales job. So I, I kind of like didn't know what to do, as with a lot of salespeople. So I finished university. I was like 21. I didn't have a clue what to do. And yeah, as with most people who finish like a degree, you just completely broke, had no money. And I had some friends going into tech sales. And I just thought, okay, this is... I'd worked in call centers before. I'd done re weekend retail jobs before. Mm. And I just thought, yeah, it could be good. And, you know, it paid better than most other jobs with like a base and commission. And I was fortunate enough to work for a company called Empirix, who are a web load testing software. They got acquired by Oracle. And it was, I, I fell in love with it day one. It was kind of, if I knew what it was, like if someone had told me this is the job, I would have actually probably wanted to do it at 10 years old. You know, you get the opportunity to travel, you meet new people, you're understanding and working with the largest companies in the world, uh, which I never knew. You kind of see it, like being in the UK, you see it in the movies, these slick-talking Americans, but when you're here, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's what tech sales is. You know, yeah. you, I think you associate, when I, with me personally, you associate sales mm. as you start thinking of double glazing. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people, it gets a bad rep in this country. Yeah. Uh, you think of sales, you think of people getting cold called whilst they're watching TV. So, yeah, to go into it and like, start learning that there's training around complex enterprise selling, like medics, Sandler sales training, consultative selling. So I just kind of fell in love with it from day one. And, and I've 
been like that ever since basically that's it's a it's a great story and it's interesting you you say that because even to this day when i tell people that i'm in sales i think the knee jerk is that i'm either selling cars or as you say double glazing or, or something like that and i think part of why i also want to drive through this podcast is just helping to up level the perception yeah. to the masses right around we do actually do some pretty complex yeah. stuff and we do some cool large deals so let's just kind of peel back the layers a bit about when you were an individual contributor and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening that are either early in their career or even mid-stage right and trying to go from good to elite which is a big part of what we're trying to drive through the pod so just help us understand kind of the the mindset that you had the systems the approaches that you had to go from good to elite as an individual contributor Yeah. yeah and I thought about that on the way in right talking about getting to elite is incredibly hard. <laughs> it's a, I don't think there's any other way. And you will always start at the first step. So it takes time. It just absolutely be patient with it, right? Um, so I remember like starting at Empirics. I was a, a BDR at the time. And it was a you know fairly, you know, follow-up on inbound, like white paper leads, webinar leads, but also prospect, right? Prospect, cold call. I just remember feeling incredibly overwhelmed by the whole situation, right? How do you speak to people on calls? I know nothing about this technology. So I'm speaking to like large Fortune 100, FTSE 100 companies about load testing software, mm-hmm. internet monitoring software. I'm like, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. They're asking me <laughs> questions about concurrent users and like what programming languages they're using. So I just remember feeling out my depth. And that's excluding how do you like cold call someone? What's like a go- good opening? So, you know, the first few years, it's fine to be overwhelmed. Everyone is. I just remember even like thinking about making those first cold calls. The whole office goes quiet. And, you know, you've got that anxiety, like everyone's going to hear me. What happens if it goes bad? But I think what top performers and what the elite have is they kind of jump into that. Mm. They kind of like feel comfortable with like not being comfortable as cheesy as that sounds. It's kind of like... I know this is going to suck, but you get that kind of little endorphin hit at the end of that cold call. Or when you book that first meeting, you kind of get a taste for it. Mm. And you kind of come away at the end of every day and you kind of look, okay, how well did I do today? Mm. How well did I do this week? So I think where you start looking at elite performers is you just start, you're very self-critical as an individual. How have I done this week? How have I done compared to last week? What am I going to do next week that's better? It's so easy to look at where I want to be. I want to be an enterprise sales manager in three years from now. Kind of focus on your current role, what you're doing today. So I just like, how can I become the best BDR or the best SDR? Hmm. What do I need to do to do that? So that's one thing is looking, I was incredibly self-critical of myself. I'm incredibly competitive as a lot of salespeople are. So I remember other BDR starting at the same time as me. Mm. And, you know, and you've just got that, you know, you're starting the job at the same time as other people, you, you know, nothing like in a, in a callous way, but you want to beat them, right? You want to outperform them. You want to get more meetings. And again, looking at elite salespeople, they want to be top of the leaderboard. They don't want to just like, Hey, I want to hit my number. It's, I want to overachieve. I want to be the best. Yeah. I'd say the third thing is probably like looking up to someone within the office, right? Looking up to someone within that sales org. And for me, I remember working and we had like two really senior enterprise AEs, incredibly successful. And it's just kind of looking and using them as my mentors. So one thing that I did 
regularly, and they kind of helped with this. So I'm not saying like I pushed for it, but in hindsight, I would have definitely pushed for it. Is they let me jump on all the back of their sales calls. So listening to how they how they spoke to people, how they qualified deals. And at the end of that call, I would just like pester them. Why did you kind of ask them that question? Mm. I just sat there mute in these calls, but you're just listening to like engaging. You're seeing what the customer's saying. I used to go along to meetings. So those things, I find people who are just naturally like wanting to improve. They're looking for mentors. They're self-critical. They're setting themselves those targets. That's typically the people who separate themselves. Um, and you can see that in their first few months of a new career. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, you look at the other side, poor performing reps, it's a job, it pays well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't really want to go into sales. Yeah, you can sure. see the difference. And yeah. if, if that's your case, great. If, it's, if you're earning well and you, you're enjoying it to an extent, stay in it. But if it's not your passion, maybe find something else that is your passion. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to unpack in that and, and yeah. some real gems in there. I think one of the, the topics that's been quite topical at the moment is, first and foremost, when you speak about finding that comfort in being in uncomfortable situations, but also that bit that you mentioned about just mentorship and right and almost finding those people that you can look to and, and, and aspire to. And when I'm actually mentoring people, one of the things that I often talk to is, look, I'm not a miracle worker, right? I can give you a, a blueprint. I can give you a system. Mm -hmm. But the bit that I can't teach you specifically is how to have character, resilience, drive, passion, energy. And, and you've got to bring that side of things to the table in order to drive the results. So I'd kind of love to get your perspective on those two things. When you speak about mentorship and, and having people kind of finding comfort in those challenging situations, do you feel as a leader that you can teach or ignite that in someone? Or do you feel that's just a bit they've got to bring to the table, their character? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I would say it's a bit of both, right? I, if I look back at when I hire, I always look for that character. Mm. Like you can go into, okay, what was the biggest deal you closed? Or, you know, talk me through a sales cycle. But what you're really trying to unpack is like, what happens when this person's back's against the wall? Yeah. What happens when, you know, they work their ass off for three months and they, they can't close a deal? Yeah. Or they go three weeks, they do everything perfectly, but can't book a meeting. Because that happens to everyone. It doesn't matter how good you are, you'll just go through those dry patches. So what you're looking for is, what is that character? It has to kind of be there as a desire, I would say. Yeah. But I think as a good leader, you can also, like, if, it, if that base level is there, you can bring it out further. So you can kind of give them that confidence to say, hey, look, I, can, I know what your natural personality is. I can tell you're a fighter. If your back's against the wall, you'll come out swinging. You'll go harder. So it's, I think it's part taught part inspired mm. but again i think to your point it has to like be there within that individual that desire to can i be the best can i even if you're not like you're not doing great in your career yeah even if you've had a really bad quarter you know you've got to look back and like why did i why did i have that bad quarter you've got to take that like you know responsibility mm. i think again looking at poor performing salespeople, they'll always look to someone to blame Oh, uh, you know, the products, yeah, it's missing this feature. I bought all the R, my SE did a bad job of this, or oh, I got a really bad patch. They'll always they'll always find there's always something to complain about. But I think what you'll find with top performers is where they've had a bad quarter, they'll be honest with themselves. Was I disciplined? Did I make the calls? Did I get distracted by that deal at the end of the month? Yeah. Why well, stop doing all my prospecting? Mm. But so again, it is that you have to have that inner desire. I'm not saying you have to be like 
gung-ho waking up 5 a.m in the morning doing like a half marathon being like psyched up every day you know just having that inner calm voice that says okay this is what i'm going to do today this is how i'm going to improve where do i want to be at the end of the year where do i want to be at the end of the quarter and it's just you know it's taking that responsibility sure it, it, it kind of reminds me a lot i don't know if you know jocko willink at yeah. all in his book extreme ownership but kind of takes me back to that a little bit right it's just the successes the failures everything in between just taking complete and utter ownership of all of those things whether you feel that you're to blame or, or a teammate or a colleague it's really about controlling the controllables right looking at the things that are within your sphere of control taking ownership and going out and making it happen so no it's a really good story in yeah. there just when you think about yourself again being back a little bit early in your career it sounds like working hard was naturally a, a massive ingredient you've spoken about being on the phones I guess an element of having the hustle and mm -hmm. to some people I guess that word hustle and grind has become a little bit of a swear word in some people's minds right and then at the same time we have the likes of Elon Musk saying he's working 80 to 100 hours a week so I'd love to get your thoughts and perspective on you know that balance of you know mental health maybe taking time out rest mm -hmm. and relaxation or do you know reps that are early in their career need to accept that if you choose the path of sales mm -hmm. it's going to be tough yeah, yeah right what's your perspective on that yeah it's a tough one again i'd say think times it's difficult times have also changed right i think when i started my career it was very much you're glued to your desk until you make your 100 calls a day but i also believe even now today like if you're starting in your career you have to prove yourself Right. I think, you know, if you're starting your career and you potentially like younger in, in years, you know, you've got a lot more energy than guys in their like 50s or 60s. So there's an expectation that, you know, you have to prove yourself. Right. But you're also at an age where I've said this to every sign of sales rep I've managed. The first two years of your career are probably the most important. What you learn in that first two years, what you can absorb, how hard you work, that sets you up. If you start the first two years of your career with like, yeah, I'm only going to work, you know, six hours today. Oh, this company over there is doing a four-day work week. That's what I want. I want to, mm. like, you should absolutely get your downtime. I'm a big believer in, you know, resting on the weekends, right? Go at it, go hard. Like Monday to Friday, like that's work, right? Friday afternoon, everyone starts slacking off, which is fine. But, you know, you go in Monday, you go hard, right? All the way through to the end of the week. But then on the weekend, make sure you get that downtime. Don't like, and I, I was a big believer in, you know, this is when everyone had two work phones. So it was a work phone and a personal phone. Yeah. I used to just like th throw my work phone like to the side of the room, get home on a Friday, just because I wanted that switch off. Because again, it wasn't productive. It's not like I was working 30 hours over the weekend. So I think it is important from 21 up until 34, I was working nonstop. And then you do start feeling it. When you start getting into your mid 30s, like 10, 15 years in, you're like, getting a bit tired now. And yeah. so it's important to get that downtime. But I think the thing that helps is, and I went through this, is you do feel that pressure that you should be constantly working. Mm. You should be constantly, if I'm not working, I'm thinking about a deal. Yeah. If I'm not thinking about a deal, I'm thinking, okay, what did I do wrong this week? It becomes unproductive. Yeah. What I notice is if you start thinking about that, if you're spending a lot of time thinking about work, mm. it probably means you haven't got a good plan in place probably means you're going in and you're kind of rushing about making random cold calls on a Monday, chasing up random deals on a Tuesday. It just means you're finishing a Friday and you haven't, you've just been running about like a headless chicken. Yeah. 
But as I've kind of got older, I've had more of a structure in place, more process in place. That means that, okay, I know on a Monday, I'm going to go through like my cold calls. Every 9 to 11 a.m., you know, more, I'm a morning person, so I'm going to do my cold calling then. I'm going to make sure, you know, from the afternoon, I'm chasing up on my deals. Have I qualified my deals? And as soon as you start getting better at that, mm. you, you become better at switching off is what I found. Nice. Fantastic insights in yeah. that. And I think there's something to be said in, in swork, working smart and hard, yeah. right? And I think you've spoken a lot about just kind of having the hustle and just going after it. But now as you've gotten a little bit older, just having some of those smarts and thinking about where can I get the best return on investment of my time yeah. becomes really, really important. And probably the second strand is also, you mentioned earlier, just being passionate about what you do. Yeah. You know, I think back to early in my career, I was originally had a full scholarship studying law. I dropped out, went into sales. Parents weren't very happy, but I knew this is what I loved, yeah. right? And fast forward now, don't get me wrong, do times get stressful sometimes? Absolutely, but I love what I do. Yeah. So I think it makes it a lot easier to just continue to press forward. And it sounds like it's, it's kind of similar for you too. Yeah, I think stress is part of the job, unfortunately. As much as like, I would love to live a stress free as with every salesperson ultimately there's there's things in our control i think we mentioned things out of our control you can manage a deal to perfection right a large enterprise deal you've qualified it you're speaking with the economic buyer you've brought in your management team you've ticked off every box you value sold and then someone leaves or a competitor comes in at the last minute changing the scope of the deal something changes internally within that organization they just announce some bad stock results or something like that those are out of your control but doesn't mean it's not stressful losing a deal that you might have had in forecast for the quarter knowing that it might be slipping away or you know your champions left and gone to a new organization mm-hmm. You lose sleep over them. You wake up at four or five in the morning. You know, there's that pressure. I've got to tell my boss about this. But I think what you'll learn is like they're inconsequential in the larger things because like you've, as long as you can say I've done everything, we were unlucky on this or, you know, losing happens. You, you come to deal with those things, I think. Sure, sure. No, really interesting stuff. I, I want to fast forward a little bit now, um, Gautam, to you as a leader now, right? You've mentioned positions at Akamai and, and some of the other organizations. So tell us a little bit about what it was like transitioning from an individual contributor to a leader. What were you excited about? What terrified you? Just kind of give us the, the lowdown. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember it well. I remember it really well. So I was... I think I started my career, I was at Empirics, and I went off to a company called 1E, who just just recently sold. And I was like, I spent four years at 1E before I moved into leadership. And I was an enterprise rep, so managing large accounts, you know, Barclays, Avivas, closing like, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollar deals. And I was comfortable. I was kind of, I just sussed how to enterprise sell. Like, I was kind of like, okay, it's taken me, what, eight years, I would say it takes to like really understand complex enterprise selling. And I was like, you know, getting into my peak enterprise selling skills. I moved on to the company. I went to a company called CD Networks, who are like a content delivery provider, similar to Akamai, Cloudflare. And it was a like US company who was just starting to expand into Europe. And they said, hey, you can come become a, a, a rep here, short sales cycles, really good commission. So I was really excited by the opportunity. It was working directly for the COO in the US. I was like, this is a great opportunity, love this. Plus, there was an opportunity to potentially move into a leadership position. And I was like 29 at the time. I thought, okay, this is 
perfect. I think you know, looking at this for the next three to five years, this is a really good opportunity for me. So I went in as a rep and I hit the ground running. I think I closed in, this, in my second month, I closed like a three, four $400,000 deal. Wow. And I was like super excited. I think the following month I closed another like 60, 70K deal. And then my boss at the time, who was the COO, says, hey, look, Amir's going through some significant growth. Do you want to like build out a team? And obviously, like when you start in sales, it's a natural progression. I was like, okay, I've done eight, nine years in as an AE. I've mm-hmm. done a BDR to AE. The next step is, you know, building and leading a team. So I just kind of bit his hand off. And I was like, absolutely, I'm ready for it. I think there were a few people within that organization that like, Gotham's not ready for this. He's like, he's a great salesperson. Yeah. He's that guy you go for beers with. He'll close those deals. But can he build and manage a team? And I would probably say they were right at the yeah. time because there is a difference between, you know, that really great salesperson who, you know, who builds great relationships with his customers or her customers to becoming a leader. Becoming a leader is people look up to you within that organization. You set the standard. You lead from the front. Sure. So it's very different to potentially being an AE. So I took that opportunity and we hired like crazy. So it was... So considering I've never built and managed a team before, over the next three years, we built the team out to 50 people. So I had like 20 direct reports, 10 SDRs, account managers, and we grew that business from $2 million to $40 million in three years. Wow. I'm not going to take credit for that. I think (laughs) the market timing was great. We were selling an unbelievably good product in a really good market. So it meant that we can scale. But it was incredibly daunting. You're incredibly insecure because you're hiring people and you're kind of like, I felt like I'm young and inexperienced and I'm like my first leadership role. Are these people going to respect me as their sales leader? Does this guy know what he's doing? Has he managed before? But again, you kind of quickly forget about that. Mm. And then my style was to go hands-on, be involved, you know, looking for people. And I would probably say my hiring style is exactly the same 10 years on, yeah. looking for like grit, determination, energy, people who wanted to step up in their career. And we just built a great team. And you have to lead. You have to, like, as a leader, you think, I have to be better than my team. They have to look at me. I have to know more about the products. I have to know how to navigate internal processes. I know if they come to me, I need to add value to them. I need to help them. And I still believe in that to this day. Incredibly stressful, though, that, like, managing people, putting people on performance plans, unfortunately having to let go of people, hiring people, making bad hiring decisions. Those obviously came in that three-year period. And that's stressful going into it. And that I would say that still to this day is the hardest part of leadership is it's not necessarily a bad hire. It's just mm. a bad fit for the organization at that moment in time. Sure. So that's, that's the struggle. Um, but yeah, incredibly excited. And then I loved it. I actually would say I probably went to becoming a better leader than I was a better AE. I just, I saw... You can take, you know, like low performing or middle performing reps and turn them into high performers and watching them grow. I always think like you need to hire people and make them better than you. Yeah. So when I can go into meetings and I can see, wow, that that rep would kick my ass on a deal. I couldn't say that about them two years ago, but I would be scared going up against them in a the deal. That's where you're like, I've done my job as a leader. Wow. Yes. Yeah, uh, powerful stuff in there. Yeah. There'll be some people, and I know I've been here myself, right, where you feel like you've done it all, right? You've ticked all of the boxes, you've done the big deals, you're showing all the right behaviours, but you're just not getting your shot. Yeah. And it can be very frustrating, right? 
So what would your kind of guidance be to that very person mm-hmm. who's in that position yeah. at the moment and is kind of feeling a little bit at the end of their tether? Yeah, yeah. And that is completely natural for, I would say, 90% of people, right? I think it's it's a two-way conversation that you have to have within your organization. Mm-hmm. What we sometimes think inside and you can get incredibly frustrated by, your organization may not know. So I think it's always good to have that discussion up front with your manager, right? To say, hey, even before, like if I give the example of CD Networks, when I was speaking with the COO at the time, I went in and said, hey, look, I'm at a point in my career where you know, I've been selling, I've been closing large deals. I'm not saying I want to walk into a leadership position here. I need to prove myself. I need to earn that. But you know, if I do these things, is there a path to leadership for me? Or if there's not, what is it you need to see? So that's going into a new role, right? If you feel you're at that point where you want to step up, make sure you've had that dialogue with your manager. That's going into role. Let's say you're already in role and you're like, okay, I've been like, I'm outperforming everyone. I'm the best here. <laughs> How do I? I never meant you can be the best sales rep in the company and be a terrible leader. They're two different skill sets. Sure. But what you can do is have that conversation with your leader. No sales leader in the world will ever like, look down at someone who's asking for that conversation. It's a sign of ambition. You know, you've got to do it at the right time. You can't go in, you've been at the company one month and say, hey, I want to build out this big team. I deserve it because I did all these great things previously. But have that conversation. Hey, look, what is what does a roadmap look like for me? Yeah. Is it a three-month roadmap? Is it a six-month roadmap? Are they just giving me lip service? You know, mm. there will be sales leaders who are like, yeah, you're doing a great job. Yeah, why don't we talk about it at the end of the year? But, you know, what are the deliverables that we need to do? Unfortunately, you know, this isn't good to say or nice to hear, but sometimes there may not be a path for that person within the company. But it's good to have that conversation you know, with your manager early and ask them, hey, look, is there a path for me here? Sure. Um, and you've got to make that decision. Okay, is it? Am I going to be here for another five years and not get my shot? Mm. Um, if, if your manager is saying, hey, what is the roadmap? That's fine. Right? There's always going to be variables, right? The company could have a bad quarter. There could be layoffs. A competitor could come in. Funding might get lost. Um, but overall, make sure you're having that discussion internally. Make sure the deliverables are set. Understand what the timelines are behind that deliverable. So it's like, mm. okay, great. This is your six-month plan to get you into leadership. So just make sure that's clear. It's a two-way dialogue. This is gold. Some, <laughs> some great insights coming out of here. And it takes me back a little bit to some insights, actually, Andy Byron, CRO at Lacework, yep. taught me, which is really that great leaders are, are people that are able to impart knowledge and ultimately develop people. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's an underrated skill or characteristics that people might think a lot about, you know, being a manager. It's, it's the recruitment and it's the strategy and it's all of that. But it's actually, can you develop people, mm-hmm. right? Can you take a team and take them from, a to point b in a way that you don't rely on your natural talent right you can't teach natural talent Mm -hmm. so you've got to be able to have a system that you can evangelize and get people centered behind Mm -hmm. where they have the belief and actually can ingest it and go out there and drive some great results so a lot of that sounds like it it plays into what you're saying as well yeah yeah it's so developing that that is leadership developing your team developing your people if you can't do that then probably leadership isn't right for you Right, so it's can I make people better? Can I look for that DNA in someone as well? Have I got that? So, and again, these are things you can learn. Unfortunately, you will make a ton of mistakes, right? When you're hiring, you'll think, okay, this person will interview great, but actually, what they'll do is 
they'll interview great and then they'll suck at their job. And what I mean by they suck at their job is they're just not doing the activity. Yeah. They're not willing to take feedback. They're used to doing things the way they've been used to doing it. I know, again, my previous CRO, Anthony Palladino, who actually worked with Andy Byron before. Nice. He would always be like, yeah, can they unlearn was always a big thing. Now, have they got the ability to say, okay, I'm willing to unlearn and try things a new way. And that's incredibly important. I can go in and, and recently I've been working with a lot of other co-founders and new CEOs. And I've, you know, I've got a hardcore sales hat on for the last 18 years. But now I have to look at the world slightly differently. I look at product, finances, marketing, investment, funding, competitive. So I've like had to wear like 20 hats now. So I've almost got to have to unlearn some of my sales hat to learn other divisions as well. So it's really important that as an individual, you can sit back and be like, okay, maybe there is a better way of doing things. I'm great. I'm really good. But, you know, I need to look to see how I can unlearn maybe some bad habits I've picked up, as we all mm. do, and learn some new great habits. Yeah, no, really interesting. And, you know, something I want to unpack with you on this is really is leadership as glamorous as it sometimes seems? And and the reason I ask that is it feels like everyone's got this view of the natural steps that you take as a salesperson. You know, you're an SDR, you're an AE, maybe then you're an enterprise or strategic AE or whatever the case is. And then you just move to management. That's kind of the, the default yeah. path. I think everyone just convinced themselves on when actually through what you're saying, it, is it always the right thing for everyone, right? And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on how people should navigate that conversation in their head. Is it as glamorous as it yeah. sometimes seems? Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say it's not glamorous. <laughs> but I agree. I, I know what it's like, right? It's that whole grass is greener. Yeah. It's the same principle as you grow up, you get married, you have kids, you buy a house. It's like you know, it's ingrained into you, actually. For some people, it's like, actually, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. Actually, I don't want to get a huge mortgage. I actually yeah. just want to rent and you know, I want to travel abroad and I want to do all these other things. It's whatever that individual, I think you've got to understand what, what you like and don't like as an individual. So I think for management, it's a completely, you are, people rely on you. Like a lot of people rely on your team relies on you. Like the senior leadership team rely on you. Where, you know, sometimes, you know, in those early years of leadership, I, you know, when I was at CD Networks, I left CD Networks, we got acquired by a company called KDDI, which is a huge um, Japanese telco. I was looking to make my next move. Mm-hmm. And I had to make a decision. Do I want to, you know, I was still quite young. I was like, okay, I've only got three years of leadership experience. So I can go back into an AE role yeah. um, or I can continue, you know, and, and advance in this leadership role. And I thought about it long and hard. I wasn't married to leadership at this point. I was still like, I don't know, 32. So I was like, okay, I'm still, you know, in my peak. I can still go out and like, make tons of money being an AE. And I had to decide because it is stressful. Mm. People are coming up to you all the time. Like when deals are going wrong, you have to take that hit with the rep. When they miss forecast and you miss forecast, again, you're going up to someone. People are relying on you, senior leadership relying on you. So it's so hard. So what I would say is, be prepared to like be almost like a sounding board to your team. Everyone's going to come to you and you've got to be compassionate. You know, people are going to make mistakes. I used to remember sitting in on sales calls and then people, you would help them. Like, this is how you qualify. These are things we need to be looking for. You do a call and they just wouldn't do any of that. It'd be incredibly frustrating. And then, you know, when you're putting people on performance plans, it's putting people on performance plans, letting people go out for business. Just put yourself in that situation of having that conversation with someone. These are good people who are working hard, 
who are not necessarily being successful. Mm. And you take that personally. Like, have I done everything I can to develop them? When you're managing a team of 10, 15 people, it's hard, right? I can't spend four hours a day with the lowest performing rep every day because that's going to impact the other parts of my business. So letting people go is, to this day, and it will always be the worst part of any sales leadership role. And you take that personally. It's a failure you have to live with. And it could be your fault. It could be the rep. So it could be anyone. So it could be external factors. They may have just got really unlucky on like five deals in a row or something. So that added like pressure of you know, managing people, the one-on-ones that you have with people. Yeah, I was doing like eight to 10 one-on-ones a week on a Monday and Tuesday. That's all you're doing. As salespeople, the thing we love the most is speaking to customers. We love being out on the road. We love traveling. You you grab a lunch before the meeting. You go for a beer with the customer. Those things typically go away. You're not doing as much traveling. You're in the office a lot more. You're spending a lot more time in Excel sheets, looking at deal sizes, deal values, qualification, your mentoring, training. So it's a very different role Mm -hmm. to what you're used to. So take a long, hard look. But I would say, you know, there's nothing wrong with, if you've got the opportunity, taking it. And, you know, if it's like 18 months in, two years in, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Like, you know what? I enjoy selling a lot more. You can go and make a ton of money and be incredibly successful being an individual contributor all the way up to retirement. So there's no pressure to say, I need to go into leadership. People are hiring. I mean, people all ages. So it's, no one's looking so, oh, they're too old, they're too young. It's like, can they do the role? How good are they? And what passion do they have for the role? So, mm. yeah, it's not, don't take it as a given. It's something you need to do. Like some of the best salespeople I know are still selling in their 60s and they're loving it. And they've the happiest people you'll ever meet because they knew that leadership wasn't for them. So mm. they're, they're in their nice big houses. They've got this great <laughs> lifestyle. They're friends with all their customers. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a I believe, slightly less stressful life, I would say. It's fascinating, right? It, it takes me back. Was listening to a feature by John McMahon. Not not sure if you know John. Yeah. I suspect you do. Board member at Snowflake, Lacework, and more. And he said, when uh, being asked a similar question, was, "Do you actually would you want to raise more children?" In essence, right? And the reason that he said that was because uh, you know when you're looking at other reps and potentially pitching to them, the thought of taking on leadership you've got to constantly pay attention to them, nurture them, develop them, coach them, give them all the attention in the world. It isn't always as glamorous as it as it can once seem, but absolutely, if someone's got aspirations to be a CRO, be in the C-suite, be a VP of sales, it is going to be the natural next step for them to take. But to your point, you can make a lot of money as a top performing AE. So it's really about thinking what's important to you and what does your own version of success look like in life, right? So fascinating. I want to fast forward again to really your journey now. So you you mentioned at the very beginning in your intro, you're now a founder, right? You're now raising capital. You're now running an entire business, right? And potentially going to be hiring more leaders and more uh, team members. So tell us now about the transition from fully-fledged salesperson uh, and sales leader to actual fully-fledged business leader, you could say. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of comes out to our just previous question, right? How do you know if you're ready? How do you know if you're ready for the next step? You know if you're ready because you kind of bored of the job you're doing right now. Bored's probably a bad word, <laughs> but like, let's just say, let's start from the beginning. If you're a BDR, 
and you know you're out of your depth day one like i said i just didn't have a clue what i was doing i was insecure i was like i had anxiety about making cold calls and then fast forward 12 18 months i could do the job in my sleep i was like showboating making cold calls because i wanted people to hear me um and i was just whatever 10 15 meetings a month i just found the whole thing easy so I was I was ready for the next role. Hmm. Um, then I went into becoming an AE senior AE, and I just got it down. I just found like you know qualifying deals. I kind of like just you know it, you get a bit lazy because you just know like you know the movie inside out. You've seen it a million times before. Same with sales leadership. I think Cloudbees we ran like Northern EMEA. We grew it to the most successful region in the country. We closed some like we closed a couple of like nine million dollar deals within the team. And it was great. And I got that, that buzz from closing those large deals was was amazing, right? Helping the team and get to that level, building teams from scratch. But I kind of felt like, okay, I'm at a point in my career. Do I want to keep doing that? I kind of know that's that that movie now. I know what to do. I want to do something different now. Mm. And I've always had aspirations like, okay, I want to build my own company, but I don't want to just start a company for the sake of starting a company. There needs to be a real problem that exists today to solve. Otherwise, it's doomed for failure, in my opinion. Yeah. Everything I'd seen was, you know, people can't personalize at scale. Personalization takes time. Sales tools have flooded the market. People are using sequences, cadences. They're sending the same one to every single person. Yeah. So I kind of saw, okay, there's a huge opportunity here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put the two things together, right? My, my ability to build and scales teams. I was lucky enough to meet a brilliant co-founder, a technical co-founder who's, had a similar career path to me, but in the engineering side of things. So had started as a like individual engineer going all the way up managing large engineering teams. We kind of came together and thought this is like great. I've seen this from a, a data and technical side and I've and me personally I'd seen it from business side. So we went out and I've I probably say I've never felt so excited in my life, right? Wow. Just to go out there and build something. I've never built as with any other salesperson, we've probably never built product before. Right? So we've never built product or been involved in engineering teams. So we went out, we built an MVP, MVP, minimal viable product. So it's like a really basic version of the solution. We did this 18 months ago and it was just me and him. And we went and like, we thought, oh, we'll go raise some funding. Everyone's raising funding. It must be easy to raise funding because you see it all on LinkedIn. Everyone's announcing your hands. <laughs> it's a lie. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> VCs are looking at you like, how big's the product going to be? How good's the team? How many customers do you have? They're talking about giving you like half a million, a million dollars. So we were lucky enough to partner with Seedcamp, who were like one of the best, I think, if not the best early stage investor in Europe, right? They run UiPath, Hopin, Revolut, TransferWise. I think they've had like five or six um, unicorns recently. So we were lucky enough to partner with them and scale those organizations. So we raised just close to a million dollars in pre-seed. We built out our MVP. And then what we've done since then is we've gone to market. We've tested it out. We've now got, I think, somewhere close to like 30 or 40 paying customers. We're about to raise our next round and, and just scale the sales org, basically. And we've now got from a year ago to today, we had it was just me and my co-founder. I think there's 16 of us. So we've gone through all that in a year, but it was incredibly hard. It's completely out of my depth, right? How do we build product? How do we know if the product's going to get you? So now we're at a point where, where you, we're building prototypes. We're testing prototypes out on customers before. 
Uh, we've got a head of product in, we've got a head of marketing in, we've got a content writer in. If you asked me 12 months ago, what do I know about SEO? <laughs> no idea, but now we're working, I understand everything. Well, I understand a bit more about SEO. Yeah. The thought that goes into where you even place a button on a product, you never even think. As a user, you're like, yeah, this is great. Sure. But you know, you start looking at how users engage with your application. And I just find all of this extremely exciting. And then I remember winning our first deal um, it was an individual paying user. So I'd left my previous role where I was like, heading up Northern EMEA. I think the last deal we closed was probably around $2 million. Mm. So it was great. And then fast forward, maybe I think halfway through the year, maybe say June of 2021, we closed our first individual user. It was $19 a month. <laughs> wow. I remember getting a bigger buzz off the $19 deal than we did off a $2 million deal. Because it was something we'd built from scratch. And now we've got a lot more. We've got a lot more bigger customers than $19. Yes. But it was everything that went into that first $19, right, was finding a co-founder, building the base product, getting funding, hiring more engineers, testing the product, going through multiple iterations of a really bad product, getting feedback, improving, 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 to the point where someone's like, hey, I love this. This is changing the way I prospect. I've already got four meetings using one shot this week. And like hearing that and hearing people getting success from that, you're like, oh, and the buzz you get from that. And now I look into the future. I'm like, okay, great. Probably by the end of this year, we're going to have 40 or 50 employees. Wow. Um, and then I look to the next two, three years. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. We could have like a two, three, 500 employee company. Um, and we are we could be changing the way everyone sells today. Yeah. Everyone should be using one-shot messaging every time they prospect. So the idea of that is is very different. So again, it's stepping up from SDR to AE to enterprise to becoming a co-founder. It That path is there for anyone. Anyone can start their own thing now, which is great. It's phenomenal as a story and yeah. as a journey. Just, you know, last couple of things from me here, but, you know, one thing I'd love to understand with all of that said is really what drives you at this stage of your career, right? Because you, you have spoken a little bit about, you know, you mentioned kind of being a little bit bored or things getting a bit stale. But I think for a lot of people, as they're getting older and their careers maturing, they almost want to start easing off the gas a little bit, yeah. right? But you've kind of gone from being there to just pouring a ton of <laughs> gasoline yeah. on, on a fire. So what is it that drives you and what is it that is really put you in a position that you've walked kind of back into the fire, so yeah. to speak, where many would be wanting to ease off. Yeah, I think it's like insanity. It's probably, it's probably <laughs> like, it's probably, I should have like, when you're like, yeah, I should have just cruised out for the next 10, 20 years. I think it's exactly that point, right? I think, I think fast forward, fast forward to your retirement day, fast forward to 65, 70 or whenever, whenever you retire. And you, you need to be able to look back at your career and think, did I do everything I wanted to do? Did I try everything? Did I push myself to the limit? And if I kind of went down that career path, I think I would have had huge regrets. I, uh, I'm not saying that we're going to build a, a unicorn, a decacorn or anything like that. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just like, I want to be able to know, did I test myself to the limits? Would I have any regrets? And I look back and I, you know, I was getting to a point in my career and I'm like, okay, I can comfortably, I can go on, VP of EMEA, GM, CRO. I can see that career path easily. I can see that path in the next three to five years. Do I want to do that? What Do I want to do that for myself? I've built a skill set up for the last 18 years 
I've built and scaled sales teams. I've worked with salespeople. I've been involved in like the largest deals at every company I've been worked at. And so I'm like, that's pretty good insight that a lot of people don't have. Um, you know, a lot of people, co-founders, founders might have come from a technical background and don't have that commercial experience. I'm like, my commercial experience is up there. So I actually want to throw myself back in. I want to feel uncomfortable. And like for, yeah, for the last, I think we've only got one SDR now, but before that I was the SDR. So I was picking up the phone. I was cold calling. I was doing all that. I was like, wow, this is like, I forgot how hard it is. Because I've been building scaling teams, I've not really been prospecting for the last 10 years. So to go back in and start prospecting, very different. It's 10 times more competitive than it used to be. Mm. Automation, buyers are incredibly hard to get hold of. So, you know, your value prop has to be there. So, yeah, I thought, you know, challenge myself, go for it. You know, the rewards are there, obviously. You know, if you build a successful company, you know, it's not necessarily about the money. As in most people who've been in enterprise roles, it's, it's you know, enterprise sales is, is quite a lucrative position. You can earn good money. So I'm not building a company to become a gazillionaire. That'd be great. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I'm not saying I wouldn't. But it's more like, can I challenge myself? Can we build something great? And it sounds cheesy, but can you provide value to your customers? If I can look back and say, hey, imagine if we built some sales software that helps every single salesperson in the role in the world. Um, we've had some customers in the last few months come back and like, this is amazing. I was literally struggling with my role. I was behind on some of the meetings. I was really struggling to know what to do. And I've started using OneShot. I'm not p- pitching this. This is like true feedback. And it's really helped me book like these extra meetings, which has taken the pressure off me. And just to hear that, it was like quite like amazing. Um, I didn't necessarily start the company for that feedback, but to hear that, you know, wow, actually helping people in their role and knowing what it's like to miss targets and have a bad month, have a bad quarter. If we can help people avoid that, that's like brilliant. Um, As a salesperson, like deep ingrained into me, I know helping salespeople is great. Yeah. Prospects might be like, oh man, more salespeople. <laughs> but, but as a salesperson, it's great. The, the, the word that was standing out to me through all of that was just legacy, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, you know, you're you're going through a process of creating legacy and it's become a little bit of a colloquial statement now when we say you, you get one shot at this life. Yeah. No pun intended, <laughs> you like that one. But we do really get one opportunity, yeah. right? And you want to be able to look back and say, all my cards are on the table. I gave it my all, right? Yeah. I pushed myself to the limit. As you said, I got as much out of this life as I could. And I drove all of the experiences that I dreamed of having in my life. And it sounds like you're doing exactly yeah. that. So kudos to you. My last question to you. I mean, I could have I doubled the time with you. It really, really enjoyed this. But my last question to you is really what your biggest piece of advice is to someone that wants to go from where they are in their career right now to becoming elite. Yeah. It's always hard to say one thing. I would say like a couple of, couple of things, I would say. And I'll start with the kind of mentor piece first. I would say surround yourself with high performers or good people, right? High performers, good people, people who want to help you. One piece of career advice I got early in my career was a good salesperson is one who's willing to help other people. Especially at whatever stage you're at in your career. And even me, I've just started like as a co-founder. I'm speaking to as many good co-founders. We've got some really good angel investors who are part of the company. I speak with them. I listen, listen to them on a regular basis. We've got the, the founder, the ex-founder of Gumtree. Uh, he's built a company from scratch with exter- zero external funding to get acquired by eBay. You know, that sort of advice you get from someone like that is brilliant. But looking back at the start of my career, I can name you every single person over 18 years who's helped me. 
who's given me deal advice, those great leaders, the great senior AEs. Look to people in your current organization who are brilliant, who are the top performing salespeople. They don't even necessarily even have to be in your same department. But look to someone who can help guide you throughout, you know, that current role, not for the rest of your life, but just like, you know, someone who can help you in that role. The second thing, just be accountable to yourself. We live in this kind of remote world now, and you just need to be honest with yourself. It's easy. Anyone today can leave their home office, go downstairs, put Netflix on, and watch that for six hours, and no one will know. No one will know. No one will care. But you are selling yourself short. So like, be accountable to yourself. Don't go crazy. Don't think I need to do 18-hour days, but just be accountable. Did I give it my best today? You're always going to have bad days, right? And you'll suck and you might watch Netflix for six hours. That's fine as well. But just be accountable to yourself. Am I pushing myself? Am I getting into my comfort zone? Because, you know, one day we all will retire. Hopefully, if we all get to a right old age where we get to that age, hopefully we're all fortunate enough. But, you know, you want to look back and think, okay, did I just sit about and just watch life go by? Or did I, like, go on the attack and give it everything I've got sort of thing? I love it. Yeah. I love it. And what a way to, to go out. So look, really grateful for having you on. I think that was jam packed full of insight. So thanks again for being our very first guest. That's got to be up there on your mantelpiece with one of your, your biggest accolades ever. So thanks again. Thanks, Alex. And, thanks uh, for having me on. We'll Appreciate see you it. soon. Cheers.